as, as I was thinking about this series and collecting my thoughts and figuring out, you know, what do I want this to look like? Last week kind of took me for a loop because I said a lot of things that, you know, I had thought about but not really thought or said I was going to say. And the more I think about it, I feel like I'm glad I said those things because I don't think they were things that were meant to be kept quiet because I think it's time for the church, for the body of Christ to, to not be lazy. I feel like it's really easy for the church to say, these are the things that if you want to be on the in group, this is the list of things you need to do and you stand in front of people and say, yes, I'll do them. But everyone else is not going to say a thing to you because they're terrified of you. Because they don't want to hurt your feelings. They don't want to make you mad. They don't want you to leave because then we may not have enough money to make budget. And we begin thinking about all of these little touchy-feely things that we're afraid to interact with because we don't want you to be the best follower of Christ you can be because we're afraid to confront you. We're afraid to be a fellow believer with you. So we stand back and we don't say things. We don't want to love you like we should. We don't want to be a follower of Christ and hold you accountable to also being a follower of Christ. And we definitely don't want each other to hold me. Like We don't want people to hold us personally accountable because it's not their business, right? But see, what we've done as the church is we've done everything exactly the opposite of the way that God intended it to be. God intended us to be in each other's lives. He intended us to love people so much that we're willing to make them mad. I heard someone say one time before that your best friend makes you mad the most because they're willing to tell you when you're wrong. They're willing to confront you. For instance, on the car ride here, Jennifer said a whole lot of things I didn't want to hear. I spent the, we spent the day with my parents yesterday. And my mom wanted us to be in this 4th of July parade, wanted the kids to be in this 4th of July parade. Like, wasn't enough parades in high school with the band. I don't want to be in a parade. Didn't want to do it. Well, this morning, Jennifer's like, yeah, you know you turn back into 17 when you're around your mom? Like, what do you mean? He's like, you give her all the power. Like, what? I was like, I was so ticked off at her. I was the one that was telling her to be quiet because she was saying all kinds of stuff and she was angry about everything and she wanted everything done a certain way. And my dad and my brother were just standing there just letting her do it and weren't saying anything to her. I was like, I told her to be quiet. 
And Jennifer's like, yeah. And what your brother and your dad have already learned is that doesn't work. But, you know, I don't say anything in those moments. I just sit there and, like, listen to her. Inside, I'm just like, I'm more mad that she's right than mad that I did it. But you know what? That's exactly what the church is supposed to be like to fellow believers. Now listen to me. What you don't do is you don't go to the person that does not follow Christ, that does not believe in Christ, and you say, hey, you need to be getting your act together because you're not acting like you should. Well, see, the thing is, is they don't understand why they should be acting the way you're telling them to because they don't know who Jesus is. Show them who Jesus is. Love them in the midst of their circumstances, in the midst of who they are. Live your life differently. Show them what it means to be a follower of Christ. Last week we looked, we started out by looking at what membership was not. Biblical membership is not a country club. It's not about perks and privileges, entitlement, dues or fees. It's not a status issue. It's not about a class that you take. It's not a list of rules and regulations. And it's certainly not being a CEO Christian. Christmas and Easter only Christian. I love that line. There's a a pastor that lives in Oklahoma that whenever he stands in front of his congregation on Christmas or Easter, he always says, Merry Christmas and Happy Easter. Because I know some of you I will not see again until Easter, so I'm just going to say it in ahead in advance. Because it's true. We think that we're members of a church if we show up. But it's more than that. We started out by looking at the faith being the core thing, the core issue. Biblical membership is a... It's about believing in Jesus Christ. It's about believing in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's why the use of the triangle. And we talked about baptism being an outward sign of the inward transformation. You can refer to it as going public. You're, you're telling the world, you're telling the people around you that this is what Christ has done in me. And when you go down into the water, you go down one person. But when you come up, it's symbolizing that Christ has washed you, has washed you clean, has taken away your sin, and has made you a new person. We talked about growing as a disciple of Christ, becoming a learner, taking on this lifestyle that says, I want to be like Christ. I want to grow as close to knowing who he is and what he is about and living like him as I can. But we can't do that if we don't have people in our lives that can hold us accountable. The body of Christ is meant to hold each other accountable to our actions. The pastor should not be the only person who gets called out when they do something wrong. 
Pastors are meant to be held to a higher standard. But why is it we care more about it when the pastor fails than when someone right next to us does? Why don't we care as much about that person as we do the pastor? We should. I've talked to people and they've asked the question, why do we need to go to church? What's, what's the important thing about it? Why should I go to church? What's in it for me? Well, the next branch or the next phase of biblical church membership begins with gathering together. It begins with the body of Christ gathering. In Acts chapter 2, verse 46 through 47, Luke writes, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. But then we see a little later in the New Testament, and the writer of Hebrews writes in Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25, And let us consider how we might spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. In Acts, we see that they're meeting together daily, But then in Hebrews, all of a sudden, we see the writer is telling the people to continue to meet together. But some have stopped doing that. Some believed that it was, okay, we don't need to meet together. I I can do this on my own. I I can follow Christ. I I can read my Bible. There There are plenty of pastors on TV that I can watch. And there, there are some, some that are really good. Don't get me wrong. You can pull up the internet and you can watch TV right there. You don't need to, you know, come to church. But then we miss out on the people. We miss out on what I can give to you. We miss out on being the body of Christ. Because if we are disconnected from the body of Christ, how can you be a member of it? If you're not included, if you're not involved in the body, how can you be a part of it? They don't go together. They're two things that don't work. So where? Where are we supposed to gather? Together. You see, it's not so much the location as much as the gather together. The two most used places in the Bible that this says that they met together 
was the, the synagogue or the church building or the homes of other believers. It, there was nothing saying that you had to come to this place or you had to go to that place, but it was gathered together. Many times they, they refer to them eating meals and sharing meals together. When? Daily. Acts 2.46 says they met together daily. So the modern church says, well, that's too much to require of you. So we're going to either make it a, a Wednesday thing and a Sunday thing or twice on Sunday or, you know, once during the week and on Sunday. But it says daily. Who are you meeting with regularly? Who are you gathering with to pray with? Why do we need to gather together? And the first thing is to encounter God. Coming together as the body of Christ to worship him corporately. As the body of Christ and fellow believers lifting praise to God. Throughout the Bible, in worship, we see that Proclamation and study and reading of God's word are all things that were incorporated when they gathered together. They sang songs of worship. They prayed together. They celebrated the sacraments together. And they gave together. It wasn't them giving separately, but it was them as the body of Christ coming together and giving of themselves to each other. To encourage one another. Many people have bad weeks and they come in here and they're looking for hope. How can we encourage someone who needs encouragement? to lift them up, to give them a hope that they don't have. Another reason we meet together is to edify somebody, to lift each other up. How can we pour into a person's life that gives them a lift, that gives them strength where they may not have it, and to equip the body? To teach the body what it's supposed to do. To learn about the ways of Christ. To learn what it is to be a follower of Christ. And how does this look? How are we supposed to live out our lives? How does it apply today for us? The next part of biblical church membership is mutual responsibility. You see, the part of being the body of Christ 
means that we all have something to contribute. That we all have responsibilities to each other. There's this classification. Even in the church software that we have, there's a classification or a category for people that we can put people under. It's called inactive member. There is no such thing. It's like having an arm that doesn't work. It's like someone losing a leg and it being amputated, but feeling like it's still there. It's an oxymoron. If you're a member of the body of Christ, you're actively involved. You put your life into what you're doing in the body of Christ. Luke 3.8 says... Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. That we're actually supposed to produce something. Something is supposed to come out of our life that represents and shows the world that we are who we say we are. What does our life reflect to the rest of the world? In Romans 12, verses 3 through 8, Paul writes, For by grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just, for just, each, uh, for just as each of us has one body with many members, And these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance to your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encouraging, then give encouragement. If it is in giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. And if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Paul, in many of his other letters, refers to the church as the body of Christ. And he talks about that as just as the body has each separate functions... It all works together for the good of the body. Why do we function as a church? Is it for the good of everyone involved? Why do we come to church? We each have a mutual responsibility. In biblical membership, we see that one of those responsibilities is to give. To give what, you may ask? Well, there's a few things. Time. 
Time is one of the most precious commodities today. Our schedules are booked. There are so many things to schedule into our lives, but to take time for another person. One of the most gratifying things that I've done lately was be able to to work on Liz and Marty's house with some of the other guys here in the church. Did I have time in my schedule to do that? Not really. But you know what? I got to hear and listen to some of the other guys and listen to how that circumstance, that situation was speaking into their lives and how they were now thinking about other ways that they could give back to other people and help other people out. To give of our time. Give of our money. I'm not going to go into all the details. You all know all the details of the whole tenth and giving of a tithe. The first fruits to God. The third thing is possessions. Well, I don't want to give my possessions away. I want it to sit in my garage and collect dust because it's important to me. The person across the street may be able to use it more than me and they may actually like really be wanting that, but I like it right where it is. But what if we gave it away? One instance, just a small thing, I, um, I redid the cabinets in our kitchen, and I had some um, stain remover that I used on the cabinets, and the people right across the street um, were getting ready to redo theirs. And a little can, that, like, cost six bucks. I used, like, that much of it. And she came over, and she knew that we were redoing our cabinets. And she asked, hey, could I use some of that? And I'm like, take it. I'm never going to use it again because I'm sure not doing those cabinets again. <laughs> it's like, take it. Because what would it have done if I would have said, yeah, you can have some, but bring it back? It'd still be sitting up there and probably get thrown out pretty soon. But simple things like that. How can you bless somebody with the stuff you just have laying around that you don't use? If you don't know someone that you can bless with it, take it down to community family services down on 26, the little corner. I don't know what you call that thing. The little peak at the end there. Yeah, the curve. Take it to them. They have more than enough people that they can bless with that stuff. How can we bless people? The fourth thing is our talents. We all have gifts and talents that other people don't have. How can you use it to bless somebody? How can you serve someone in the church? One of the things I've always wanted to do, I've always wanted 
the church to be able to have a list and say, you know, my hot water heater's getting ready to go out. And someone come along and see, hey, hot water heater, you know, I want to bless that family. You don't have to go out and buy it and show up and say, hey, I got this for you. It, you know, that's fine. Come to me and tell me, hey, I want to bless this person. And we'll go deliver it to them and say, hey, this is a gift from the church. There's a church that I'll eventually tell you more about that has this amazing story in Arkansas. This pastor left this 5,000-member church because he said, this church was amazing. It was doing great things in the church. He said it was doing nothing for the community. He believed the church transformed the community. So you know what he did? He went and bought a trailer in a trailer park. Put mosaic on the trailer. He went around and he started meeting the people, getting to know them. And as he found out that they had needs, if someone needed a medical bill paid that they couldn't afford to pay, he would go find the money. He would go ask people, hey, there's this person that's really need. Will you help me pay? And he would go and pay their medical bill. And he went around this trailer park. And it became the church. He literally met the needs of the people. And that's how he built his church. And now that church is doing amazing things. What was once the highest crime rate in that city is now the lowest crime rate. Just last year, they fed 17, 000, over 17,000 individual people more than once. Because one man said, it's about community transformation. That was his talent. And he gave it. Tom Rainer says, Biblical church membership gives without qualification. Biblical membership views the tithes and offerings as joyous giving. There are, no, there are not strings attached. Biblical church membership serves and ministers as a natural way of doing things. Biblical membership is functioning membership. Actively involved. The second part of mutual responsibility is to pray. To pray for the people in the body. To pray for the people who don't know Christ. To pray for community leaders. To pray for your family. Of all things, pray for your family. One of the things that I'm trying to do better at that that. As a pastor, even, I'm not the greatest at. I, I pray, but I don't pray with them. I'm trying to do better at praying with my kids. Jennifer and I have tried to pray together multiple times, but there's this problem for me. She goes to bed like three hours before I do. And I think, well, if I go into the room and pray with her, then I'm going to have to go to sleep, and I don't want to go to sleep. 
I'm joking. That's a ridiculous excuse. Don't just pray for your family. Pray with your family. Pray for your pastor and his family. Please. I'm not kidding. Paul writes to to Timothy, and he tells him that leaders in the church are to be above reproach. That in order to be a leader in the church, you must have your family in order. My family is under the biggest microscope here. Why is it that pastor's kids are known to have a reputation for not being so much of a Christian? Is it because we pick at them for every little thing because they're not the perfect little kids that we expect them to be? Heaven forbid they make a mistake. But you make mistakes, right? So we need to let kids make mistakes. Me, me, I'm saying this is me too. I mean, I'm just as guilty as being hard on my kids as anyone else. Please pray for me and my family. Pray for those, those in need, those people that you know that are in need, but maybe you can't help them. Maybe there's, it's just beyond the scope of you being able to help. Pray for them. Pray for an answer to their need. And pray for yourself. Pray for guidance and wisdom and hope. Strength, courage, understanding, compassion. Pray for your own spiritual growth. Another part of being a mutual responsibility is to serve, to serve each other. James says that as the body of Christ, we're called to serve the widows and the orphans. Jesus tells us to serve those in need. Those who hunger and who don't have clothes and shelter. How can we serve them? How can we serve the community? If you you read through the New Testament, there's this one phrase that keeps popping up in, in Paul's writings. It's this one another. You and I have a mutual responsibility to one another. Here's just a a list for you. Be devoted to one another. Live in harmony with one another. Accept one another. Instruct one another. Use your gifts for one another. Share with one another. Greet one another. Serve one another in love. Carry another's burdens. Be kind to one another. Forgive one another. Look to the interest of others. Bear with one another. Love one another. Admonish or warn one another. Encourage one another. Build one another. Build up one another. Live in peace with one another. Spur one another to good works. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Be hospitable to one another. Did I leave anything out? It sounds like we're supposed to be for one another. We have a mutual responsibility to care for each other. 
So biblical church membership has its foundation in faith. There's baptism. There's discipleship. There's learning. There's accountability to your actions in the way you live your life. You gather with the rest of the body of Christ. But you also have mutual responsibility. It's not just mine. It's not just Judy's. It's not just Tim's. It's not just Jeff or Toby. It's all of us having a responsibility to one another. That is biblical membership. As Jeff comes and we close in worship. I want you guys to think about membership the way it is right now. If you're a member of Trinity United Methodist Church, I want you to think about membership as you have it right now. And ask yourself, do I want to be a member of that? Or do I want membership to look like what we're talking about? And for those of you who may have said, you know, I, I, I don't want to be a member because being a member is pointless. There's no value in it. I want you to think about what we're talking about because it's not a vote. It's not power. It's about each other. What are we going to be a part of? I pray it's the body of Christ.